our study on Bible lists. And we're in the section of Wilmington's Bible lists on the person of Jesus Christ. And the uh, last time we were looking at the signs, or we were looking at the proofs of his resurrection. This time we're looking at 16 signs suggesting the return of Christ. Now, he's not um, in his list, he was not putting out dates and those kind of things. I think that is um, a little silly because the Bible says that no man knows the day nor the hour of the return of Christ. But uh, we can uh, know, or as Jesus says, these things should not overtake us. Um, there will be certain signs that pre, are precursors of the return of Christ. And I think the Bible has a lot of those. And there's more than 16, but the list that I have is just 16 of them. Or there's, there's more than 16 references, I guess. But there are a number of different things we could look at. And um, we're going to, before we even start, let's just have a word of prayer again. Lord, we open up your word, recognizing again that you have given us the Bible. You've given it to us in our language. We're thankful for that. We're a blessed people, Lord, because the word of God has come to us. And Lord, I, I thank you that we're bound for that promised land. And we can invite others to come along and go with us. We thank you for the invitation that comes from you to drink from your water, that living water. And Lord, as we open up the word again tonight, we ask you to teach us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Sixteen signs suggesting the return of Christ. And uh, as you know, there are a number of different areas in Scripture that talk about, well, first of all, the return of Christ is one of the major doctrines. It is a doctrine that I believe uh, you, you have to you have to believe that to really be what would consider an orthodox Christian, okay? Now, there's different camps of thought on how Christ will return and those kind of things. You have the amillennial view, which is that Christ is spiritually returned and has set up his kingdom now. Um, I don't think that's really in accordance with Scripture because it doesn't, you know, if, if this is the kingdom of God, we're in trouble, you know, um, in that way. And there's other views of that as well but it's not a literal kingdom that's what ah millennial means not it's basically without a a literal thousand year reign and then there's also um the viewpoint of post-millennialism which isn't as popular but very similar that he has set up his kingdom and things will continue to get better and better and better that view kind of went out during the first world war (laughs) that hit most of the world right and then uh, from there, you have the premillennial view, which is that Christ will return before setting up his millennial kingdom, a thousand-year reign. And that is the viewpoint that our church takes. That's what I take. That's what I will teach you. I believe that's what the scripture teaches as well. Now, those viewpoints don't necessarily, you know, believing any of those, you know, doesn't necessarily not make you a Christian. I can just say that. But the big thing is people need to believe in the return of Christ. That is taught in scripture very clearly and uh, the timing of that and all that that's out for a lot of uh, debate but I do think that if you take the scriptures and look and read them literally and where the literal sense makes sense look for no other sense uh, it was John Walver who said you will always come up uh, pre-millennial in your viewpoint of scripture of the return of Christ and he even went as far as say pre-tribulational which is that the rapture of the church will happen before the tribulation. I believe that too is the way scripture teaches. And if you take a literal approach to scripture, that's what you'll come up with. 
Um, so anyways, that, that's just sort of way of introduction, and that's not what we're looking at specifically tonight. But we're going to look at just different signs that the scripture tells us will happen before the return of Jesus. And the first one is there'll be an increase of wars and rumors of wars. And, and that the increase of wars and the rumors of wars. And in Mark chapter 13, and also elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus records for us, But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. So this will be before the return of Christ, or as he says at the end, that is the culmination of of his judgment in the day of the Lord. And I will just say that we are in a world today where it is easier than ever to get information and, and you can hear of a war unfolding live on TV, right? I mean, we watched that most recently in our, on October 7th when there was really a live play-by-play of war that was breaking out in the Middle East, in Israel. And we have, if you want to follow that closely enough, you can, you can watch that live unfolding before us. And we see wars and we see wars reported on as never before in, the, in, the, in human history. Even in my father's and grandfather's generations, uh, wars were reported on usually at best the next day after battles. And a lot of times the next week, you wouldn't even hear of major events until it was published and, and brought back in story form of some sort. Um, and then, of course, radio, television, and now internet and everything has made that possible, satellite communication. But we are in a time, I think, as never before, where we see wars and rumors of wars. And certainly we're in a a period of time right now that fits that criteria. As we know, I mean, people that's what people are talking about right now. And uh, I think the world is is in a situation where major war could break out at any time. And I'm not saying it's going to, but I'm saying it could very easily. The geopolitical climate is in rough shape you know that way people are worried about climate change they ought to be more concerned about what our public affairs are like and our in our viewpoints of god in that way because uh things are going to heat up for sure but that's one of them and that's a sign that if you see those things just know the end isn't yet but they predate the coming of the lord uh the second one is extreme materialism and that too is something that is Always, I think man has had a problem with coveting. That is for sure. I mean, you know, you, you see something and you want it too. I remember growing up and, and the thing was people had Nike sneakers, you know. And all of a sudden I got to seventh grade and some of the people in my class had Nike sneakers. And I thought I had to have Nike sneakers. And I remember going out and working odd jobs and doing that. And they had to go out and spend all kinds of money to buy a pair of sneakers that lasted maybe six months or something, you know, like that. And it's funny how we, are, we view things that we must have, right? And I, by the way, I don't buy Nike sneakers anymore. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> for various reasons, they, they don't like Christians. That's one of them. But, um, uh, and, and it's fine. Don't throw your Nikes away and all that stuff if you have them. But I'm just saying there, there are things that we desire just because we, we think we need those things. We coveted them. But there's coming a time, and I believe we're in it, where, you know, and that's one of the other things that we see in our modern world is that Somebody in the jungle of Africa, you know, can get on the internet and look and see how Americans live or how someone else lives, you know, and say, 
wow, I need that, you know? And that was never the before, you know, like that. And, and I think that's one of the things that drives today in our culture in America, this idea that we have to have bigger and better and flashier. And if you have it and you bought it last year, you need it again this year, buy a new. And we're in that cycle of materialism. It is destroying our houses, our homes, I should say, the actual element of home life. It is, I think, driving us to work hours and hours beyond it's driving you know and i i say this carefully but he's driving women to work a lot harder than they uh and i say always they've worked hard but in a world where they have to become the chief earner of money in a household so that they can keep up with the lifestyle that they've agreed to essentially and all that and left behind in that is children and rearing children and i'm not against i'm don't get take me wrong if you have a job somewhere and, and a woman that's fine but the crowning jewel of being a woman, I think, is, is you know, through marriage coming together and establishing a family and being part of the rearing of that family. And we're outsourcing that in our culture today, right? Get into daycare as soon as, you know, two years old or whatever else and, and let somebody else raise them. And we wonder why they're coming out like they are sometimes when they're teenagers and others. And I just say that because... God wants us to back off from materialism. Anyways, the verse that I have for that is Second um, Timothy here, chapter 3. It says, But know this, that in the last time days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, uh, blasphemers disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And, and those are just characteristics of what will be like that in the last days. And we're seeing that. We're seeing just generations of people investing only in themselves and their lovers of money and more than lovers of God. And you see all those things. And the disobedience to parents, I think that falls into that whole thing. We wonder why children are so disobedient. Maybe because we're not parenting. That's that simple. So be careful about that. Unthankful, unholy. Uh, It goes on to say in... um, so, you know, that would be extreme materialism. And there's other verses that talk about that as well. But we live in a world where it's easy to be covetous because you can see everything that everybody owns and has and eats and whatever else you put on Facebook or, or uh, Instagram or, or other social media. And it's driving people mad is what it's doing. Uh, lawlessness is another one. Second Timothy, again, right here. And um, I think that's what I had. Oh, verse 3, lawlessness, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God. And when it goes back in in that verse 2, when he talks about um, disobedience, there's really going to be an attitude of lawlessness that will abound in the last days. And I think we see that today um, more so than ever. There is an attitude of lawlessness. When you have, by the hundreds, major retail stores closing their doors because they can't keep goods on the shelves, on the shelves because hordes of people are coming in and just stealing stuff. I saw a picture of a Rite Aid in um, California where on the store shelves they have now photographs of the item that should be there because 
people have to go in and because there's so much theft going on that they have to own, now they have to go in and point to the item they want and then someone has to go back in a locked up room get the item and bring it back out we're going backwards and it's because there's lawlessness why because in a lot of places you can steal actually in some parts of california you can steal up to almost a thousand dollars thousand dollars is the limit and you can walk right out of the store and if you're caught and the police are right there they cannot prosecute you because the district attorneys will not do that you think about that when you have judges and and people who are in charge of law saying we're not going to enforce law that's lawlessness and and, and it starts even before that that's the the symptom of a greater problem and it's the problem that they don't want god's law thou shall not steal right thou shall not covet that you know when you look at those basic laws which um really hold back evil in many ways we don't want them as a society and it's really sad when we have to come to that uh in that anyways that's just a another um another sign number four there'll be a massive or there'll be a population explosion and i'm getting that from the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 6, predating the flood, one of the characteristics of that time, it says, now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. Now we don't know how many people were alive at the time of the flood of Noah, but even perhaps billions. I mean, you, you can add up the generations rather quickly if you look at that and the age and lifespans of people and all that. But they were multiplying. And, and again, we're not... I'm not against multiplying on the face of the earth. The man was told to do that way back, right, by God. But we are told by Jesus in Luke 17, it says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. So you have to go back to the days of Noah and say, what were those characteristics like? Well, there was a multitude of people being born. And all of a sudden, there was violence that filled the earth. From the youngest to the oldest, filled with violence. And then there was, you know, this idea that we don't want God. Because how I know that is because when Noah is told to build an ark and God is going to destroy the world by a flood, there's only eight people that go into that ark. People had thrown off the bonds of the law of God, natural law, all of that. And a lot more could be read into that, but. We know that God says that they were doing evil from the youngest to the oldest. And that's his commentary on mankind. So much that he said it, it, he, he regretted making man. Wow. Jesus said, before he comes, it will be like the days of Noah. And we find that in that also, there will be an increase in knowledge and in speed. And that comes from the book of Daniel. That's the number five, an increase in speed and knowledge. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. And we are living in a world where you now can go anywhere pretty much on the globe. If you have enough money anyways, you can go anywhere on the globe um, in, in the matter of 24 hours or less. If you have enough money, you can go into outer space, all right? And the next whatever um, 
rocket that Jeff Bezos sends up or or some of the you know the the SpaceX rocket yesterday that was launched and, and tested that is in hopes of bringing people to Mars by the year 2025. Wow, I don't know if I want to sign up right away. The booster that sent that up yesterday, after it um, uh, separated, it blew up. <laughs> so they're almost there, but I don't think I'm going to sign up for that trip yet. But we're in a world where you can hop on transportation and go to and fro at the speed of rockets, you know? Think about that. And yet, we have knowledge that has increased as well. Uh, I literally could, if we had a question right now, I could get on the internet here and I could Google it and come up with something. I don't know if it would be right or not, but I could come up with that. There's lots of knowledge out there. Um, And it seems like infinite knowledge, doesn't it? And and now we have artificial intelligence. I wish we had intelligence alone. That would be good, you know. Uh, As man gets dumber, we now have to have computers think for us and develop things and do things and it's going to increase the speed in which we, we research medical procedures and drugs that will uh, fight cancer. And there's all kinds of good things that they're saying will, will happen. What used to take researchers five or ten years now will be a year, they're saying. And there's all this new hope of things with artificial intelligence. All stuff that it can gather at once and then pull it in. And the only hope is that it doesn't destroy us, right? And... That's always part of it. But Daniel said, you know, he said thousands of years ago, look at it, it says, seal the book until the time of the end, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And we are in a generation in my lifetime where knowledge and the availability of knowledge has just grown exponentially. Remember when you had to go to a library and pick up a book? Now it's at the tip of your fingers. Unfortunately, there's a lot of junk out there too, right? Um, we've lost that. But uh, anyways, that's just one of the, the things that you see here. That's also a sign that will come before the end. A unification of the world's systems. And I have Revelation chapter 13. Verse 4, it says, So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. And then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. A one-world leader. A one-world system. Except for those that are believers during that time. That's yet future. It will be in the tribulation period. These will be people that have come to faith in Christ after the rapture. And the world leader will have power over all of them. And it says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Those whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb uh, from the foundation of the world. And I think we're we're pushing for that today in our political climate. Um, We really are. And those who are in charge of our nation right now are entering into things that are more global focused. And I just think that that is part of 
what is going to take place. It has to take place before the return of Christ. And by the way, if we're seeing that, in, in my understanding of the scriptures, the return of Christ will happen at approximately, well, really, seven years after the rapture. A period of seven years that has to take place before the return of Christ. And if we're seeing the signs of the return of Christ, and those things have, the rapture of the church has to happen seven years before that, it, listen, how much closer are we? Wow. God has not allowed us to be ignorant of these things. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And I believe there's a, especially in the Western civilization, there is just a movement to throw away every remnant of Christianity and to get rid of it out of education, out of higher education, out of uh, the home, out of churches and there is an attack at a government level in many many cases just to shut things down and passing laws to do that in so-called democracies right and and democracies in the sense that they i guess you get what you you elect and you deserve (laughs) and do not find it odd that you are suddenly in a minority in the west as a christian it is happening. But a minority with God is, is still a majority. An intense, number seven, intense demonic activity. That's another sign. And I have heard it said, as you read through the Gospels, um, for instance, there are numerous times where Jesus encountered demon-possessed people. Um, healing some of them of their disease and there were others that were there and and someone has said this way that at the first coming of christ there appears to have been a lot of demonic opposition and the scripture reveals that to us and most likely at the return of christ as those days near there will again be a resurgence of demonic activity including worship of satan and worship of demons and we're seeing that we're seeing it you know from everything in our media to people painting it on their skin, you know, <laughs> to all kinds of things that are literally demonic. I mean, demonic imagery and demonic things and, 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 and truly worshiping Satan and, and also doing so under the guise of something else, a false religion that might not look satanic on its surface, but is in its root. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons where does false doctrine come from comes from satan he's a master at it right genesis 3 comes along and he says to eve you know surely you will not die says to adam and eve you know, for God knows in the day you eat thereof, you'll be as gods knowing good and evil. He adds that little, be as gods. Tantalizing to think I could be like God. And, uh, and sin enters in. And you find Satan lying throughout every instance of Scripture as, as he, is, he appears in Scripture. The illustration is that he's a liar. Uh, he's a destroyer. Uh, he is the force of evil. 
Look at it goes on to say, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Those are all signs that will be there in place before the return of Christ. Intense demonic activity. There will be, a de- number eight, a departure from the Christian faith. A departure from the faith. And again, um, I quote from First Timothy there where it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. There will be a departure uh, where people will go off into apostasy. Um, and they will believe a lie. Um, that is a sign that... Um, and, and I would just say that the death of truth as well in general. You cannot even tell people today, show them something with definitive proof and have them accept it. And I think of that in the recent, again, using recent illustration of the atrocities that Hamas committed in Israel when they came in and committed acts of terrorism and evil. And, and on video, they videotaped themselves I say videotaped, you know, they streamed it live is what they did with cameras. Live, and sometimes on, on victims' social media accounts, the, the deaths and murders and rapes and all the horrible things they did, the torture, and you show that to people, you know, publicly including media outlets, and they say it's not true. The death of truth. So you come along and you say, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ, our Savior. Oh, that's not true either. And people are literally plugging their ears and covering their eyes purposely. And and again, Satan is behind that too. He is the master deceiver in that. Don't find that abnormal before the time of Christ. It is going to happen, and it is happening. A departure from the faith. 2 Timothy 4, 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. (laughs) Crazy, isn't it? People say, hey, you Christians, you believe in fables. No, we believe the truth. You believe a fable. I mean, that's, that's how the Bible portrays it and says. And stand for sound doctrine in these days. It's important. In, let's see here, I have, uh, I have some other ones too. But uh, there's another passage, and this one in, where was I here? Yeah, in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, Paul writes here, he says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for the day that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And there is that passage as well where, um, and often, like in the titles of the editors of your English Bible, it'll say the great apostasy. And that comes from the word that is found here, falling away. Um, and it is uh, apostasia, yeah, apostasy, apostasia in Greek. And it's actually, the article is the is also there. He apostasia. 
and it means a great departure. Now, I would just point this out because um, although there will be a great departure of, from true doctrine in the faith, the context of this is actually referring to a great departure, both in this chapter and the, in this whole epistles, the departure of the church in the rapture. And so that word uh, can also mean a great removal. And for most in the premillennial camp, they point that out in the Greek that, and in the context of this, it may indeed not refer so much to the removing from the truth as it is the removal of the church that must take place before the man of perdition is revealed. And that makes sense because right now the Holy Spirit is restraining evil. He is restraining through his church because he resides in individual believers. Now he's not only in us, just so you know that. That's like saying God is contained somewhere, not at all. But think of it this way. If the rapture was to take place tonight, boom, like that, all these Christians are gone. Millions and millions of Christians worldwide. And all of a sudden, everything that would unfold in that, you know, the disastrous consequence of that. But one of the biggest things would be, all of a sudden, there wouldn't be a voice of people pushing back by conviction, by Holy Spirit conviction against a world of sin. And how quickly that evil agenda would come into place. Overnight, it would be there in the chaos of the moment. And so if you take that verse, for instance, and, um, you know, for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And in most of the Greek, like, author, uh, experts, when you look at this, the best translation of that word um, should be departure. But yet... It seems like here they've said falling away, and, and it, in other words, that it has to be a negative, like a falling away from the faith. Um, most often, the, the verb form of this is actually used in a positive form of removing yourself, like from sin and from sin's ways, those kind of things. That's not a bad departure. It's a good departure, and it's used in that form throughout Scripture numerous times. The actual noun form here is only found here and also in the book of Acts in Acts 21-21 with Paul uh, in that verse but um, uh, I don't know just food for thought I would say the easy answer for that too is there'll be a twofold falling away there'll be a falling away or a departure from the faith and a departure of the righteous to to, to glory alright I better move along here number nine um, there will be a departure. Okay, nope, that's the wrong one. Sorry about that. Luke, there we go, Luke 17. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And then he goes on to say, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. So now we go to Genesis like, 18 and 19 right 19 they ate they drank they bought they sold they planted they built but on the day that lot went out of sodom it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all and we know if you read genesis 19 the sin of sodom that is revealed it's the sin wasn't that they were building and planting and they were watering the plain there and all that. It was that they were committing homosexuality. 
Uh, and it's, it's clear. It's clear from the actions of the men. It's clear that it brought God's judgment. And by the way, those that say Jesus never spoke about homosexuality, I don't know, they, go, they skip these, these passages. They skip these words of Jesus. Jesus validated the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. So you have to believe in a different Jesus to be able to read that sin into your life and say it's okay with Jesus. And, and I'm, not, I'm not going after individuals. Listen, he loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And the sin will be prevalent, and, and I will say not just that sin, but the sin of perversion in general, of sexuality, which is one of God's highest, really, uh, means by where he allows a man and a woman in the confines of marriage to come together and experience something that is just so wonderful. And God gave that to us. And he said, go forth and multiply. And, and he does it in the confines of, of love and all of that in, by, between a man and a woman. And man turns that and makes it perversion. And why there's so many empty people today and destroyed lives and all of that is wrapped up in that that whole element. Uh, but that is something that the Bible talks about. And again, Peter says in Second Peter 2, and did not spare the ancient world, but save Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Those cities were an example for us today. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. The Holy Spirit, through the writing of Peter, calls Lot righteous. I believe Lot was a believer. He had the righteousness of God, but he was living filthy. He was right in the middle of it. Matter of fact, he gives up his two virgin daughters, or he offers to do that. Here, don't do that, men. Don't come in here and you know commit homosexuality. But here's my two virgin daughters. Do believers make some very poor decisions when they're when they're in entwined with the world? Yeah, they do. That will be like the return before the return of Christ. There will be a great, really, movement of perversion. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. That's how Lot lived. I never thought in my lifetime we would see cities fill up and parades of people glorifying perversion. I never thought that. Now, has there always been perversion in the human race? Yes. In sin, we can do anything and we are capable of doing the worst of things. But I marvel at that. We have a gay pride month. And it's probably really should be just gay pride year because it just extends into things. Does God love gay people? He sure does. Can he reach gay people? Yes, he can. But we need to repent of our sin, whether that's the sin of stealing the sin of adultery, the sin of homosexuality. It is a sin. And I'll probably be banned from the internet for life because this is going to go you know, on a message and recording form. Some AI thing is going to tag me. That's it. But, but it's truth. It is what the Bible declares. And we need to be 
careful with that. There's more. 2 Timothy 3.1, But know this, that in the last days uh, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. And in the Old English, that word unloving is without natural affection. Without love, but it's, it's even deeper than that. Without the love that you would normally have that just by the fact that it's, it's natural. For instance, I think one of the strongest bonds that a person can have is the love of their children. Especially a mother. The love of their child. And we live in a world where it has become the majority who say things like, we won't be trapped. My body, my choice. We, heart, love, right? Abortion clinics. Don't tread on me with a picture of a uterus. How is it that we've gone from from just the virtues, I'm not even talking about the, the, the theological ramifications, but the virtues of standing up for the smallest person in the room, which was always taught as something that is worthwhile, to stand up to bullies, to now we glorify that very thing in the act of murder. It's because it's without natural affection. And it doesn't surprise me. And, and I, I pray for people, and I know there's been some very heartaches of people that have had to experience abortion and have gone through it, And God is always forgiving and gracious, and he can restore, he can do that. But when you have people, and that's not a, I didn't, there's a lot of pictures I couldn't show you publicly, because you shouldn't see them. But they, they show up in public. And when you have people that love killing their own children, doesn't make sense, does it? It does if you read scripture without natural affection, unloving. And I think, by the way, the answer, and this this is being talked about relevant to our world today on the political spectrum, we have the wrong message. We need to, you know, say that there's some exceptions and there's this and that. And I just want to push back on that and say, you always should be standing up for those that can't stand up for themselves because it is right and it is what Jesus would do. And it's what the Bible tells us to do. And I, I don't go after individuals. But if someone says, why do you have that viewpoint? I will tell them. Because I am a person that when I go into a room, I want to stand up for the, 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 the smallest person in the room. If I can help them, I want to help them. You know, that might change their mind a little bit. Apart from that, it's also wrong. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. I better move quickly. Oh boy. Number 11, the revival of the old Roman Empire or Western civilization. And um, Daniel 2.41, Daniel 7, talk about, remember the image of that, the image, and then you come down to the feet of clay and um, you see a revival of empires. And the last of those empires in Daniel's 
vision was the Roman Empire. And according to the book of Revelation, there will be a revival of that Roman Empire. That It may not be from Rome exactly, but the system of that. And in, Roman, in Revelation 13.1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. That's the sea of humanity. Having seven horns and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Chapter 17 The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. So this Antichrist will come and will will again revive a system that will raise up these other kings and they'll be about committing their evil. There will be a universal numbering system that is used in commerce. We know that. Revelation 13, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the name, number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666, which 6 is the number of a man. And we are in a world today where that is being pushed from every angle to go to a cashless society, to go to a society where everybody can just pay things conveniently. And and I don't know where to push back on that necessarily because we're in the world, we're not of the world. But when a guy comes along and says, hey, I want you to take this mark on your forehead or on your, you know, I'll say, wait, 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 wait. Because my Bible talks about that happening in the tribulation period. I'm not saying we're in the tribulation period if that is pushed on us now. But if it's going to be, we're seeing elements of that being pushed on us now. How much more will it be in the tribulation period when people have no other choice to eat? Unbelieving people, will, they, will, they will starve to death if they do not receive the mark of the beast. And if you want to look at what that might be like, it, look back a couple of years to the COVID times. How quickly we handed over our bank accounts and everything else. Uh, you know, to allow all kinds of money to flow in so we could we could eat, not work, and all that stuff. And I think it's easy for society to buy into that quickly because it's, it's, almost, it's forced upon you. For believers during that time, it will be very difficult because they won't receive that. Whew. All right. Uh, I won't turn there, but Ezekiel, we know... In Ezekiel's vision, in Ezekiel 38, uh, I won't read the whole thing there, but Ezekiel 38, 39, there is a revival of, uh, particularly that will culminate in a battle of the geographic ancient lands of Russia. Um, and, and you see in the, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog and the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, which is an ancient name for that area, uh, Meshach and Tubal and prophesy against him there will be an element of apparently from that part of the world that will gather other allies with them and come up against Israel and I'm seeing that today already in that and, and by the way I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this politically you know <laughs> I think of people were, people were praying for this week Vitaly Petrov he's a Russian he's doing the work of the Lord and listen, there are a lot of Christians in Russia. 
But when the rapture of the church takes place, Christians in Russia will be gone too. How much quicker things can fall into place. And I often wonder why the region of the United States isn't mentioned in Scripture. I think we're just going to crumble and die. Uh, I, I really do. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know the, those things. If I did, I'd make a lot more money than I, than I do now because I could, I could write a book and somebody would put it all in order and, and they would do it. But the book we have tells us enough what we need to know. There will be hatred and ridicule. That's a big sign. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, yep, verse 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. There'll be hatred and ridicule for the promises of God. This Wednesday, in last Wednesday night in Glensdale, Arizona, there's a young man named Hans Schmidt. He was preaching on a street corner as he's done for many months. He goes out and he preaches on a street corner. He was sharing the gospel with people. As he was doing it, someone came up to him and shot him in the head. He's fighting for his life. Young man, two young kids, a wife, serving in his church. A complete tragedy. But it should not surprise us that that's how people view Christians today in America not all people thankfully that's not happened everywhere but there used to be some measure of respect even for the guy who stood on a street corner and preached something you didn't want to hear now people would rather just shoot you uh, this isn't a very uplifting message is it it gets better because see Jesus is coming again right number 15 there's a restoration of the nation of Israel you can look at Matthew 25 for that and then number 16, interest in rebuilding the third temple. We know that because according to 2 Thessalonians, there will be the abomination of desolation. There will be a, uh, again, uh, the Antichrist will have, he will desecrate the temple, the Jewish temple. So there will be a temple rebuilt for the Jews. The book of Revelation chapter 11 also says that. And we know that... Uh, it says, then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. And so we know that there will be a temple during that time. And there is talk even now in, in Israel uh, among uh, the Orthodox communities of rebuilding the third temple. And the, my understanding is everything is in place for that, just except the political climate won't let them do it. In other words, it would, it would set the world on fire in the Islamic world if the Jews built a temple on their temple mount. But it may come to that quickly. And it'll come to that certainly in the days prior to the return of the Lord. Went a little over, but thank you guys. Let's just pray. Lord, we live in the light of your return. And Lord, truly, as we look out, things look pretty bad before 
those events. But yet, Lord, we know you come, you are victorious, you establish righteousness, you will call your saints home to glory. And, O oh Lord, we are thankful that you are the one who is the righteous King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you'll fix all this. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.